And we are in 1 Peter again. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been going down through this um, series in 1 Peter, and we'll be here for a while yet. At least that's my plan. Uh, barring the Lord taking me uh, home or the rapture or some other thing uh, that may prevent us from finishing the book, but we are, that's our goal anyways. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 17 here this morning. And it says this, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray again. Our Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we would certainly look to you, the author of the book, to open it to our hearts and minds. And Thank you, Lord, that we can study the Word of God here and do so freely. We want to pray, Lord, that Christ might be lifted up out of these verses, these pages before us, and that God, He might draw people to Himself as only He can do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. title of the message this morning is Fear God, and often that's a a term that is sort of misunderstood. And the Greek word that is used here for fear, which is is there in verse uh, 17, where he talks about conducting your time here, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It's the word uh, we get phobo, uh, phobios, or I guess, or phobos would be the Greek word. We talk about phobias, and there's a lot of different phobias out there, but that's not the, the definition that is being used here, even in the Greek. It's like the English definition. There are several different um, uh, ver- meanings to that. And if you look in your Merriam-Webster dictionary, the third Uh, definition of the word for fear is the one that's here and it's this profound reverence and awe especially toward God and it's the idea of a profound reverence for something a, a, a holy kind of fear and that's often where it's associated when we talk about uh, reverence to someone or something it's in in terms of God and our reverential fear of him our respect towards him our awe of him And we've touched on that before as we've looked at that verse or looked at other verses that deal with that uh, in a little bit. Now before we get too far into that, um, and that's kind of the the basis of our message this morning, to kind of set this up again, you remember that the early church had been scattered, many of them were scattered, and they were believers scattered throughout mostly what is today modern day Turkey, uh, in Asia Minor, which is the province that is referenced there in the New Testament, And in the beginning of 1 Peter, in this letter that Peter puts together, he writes to those scattered believers. And he reminds them that they're they're pilgrims and strangers. In other words, we're just temporary residents here on this planet. Our real home is with the Lord. He also reminds them of the fact that they have been begotten again or born again to a living hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, that in itself right there is... Uh, the the basis of why he's writing, talking about that uh, blessed salvation that we can enjoy through Christ in those things. 
Well, when you look at the section of Scripture here that we're in, last week we looked at, Be holy, for I am holy. That's what the Lord commanded His people. And uh, today we're looking at the idea of, of an, awe, an awe or reverence of God. In other words, fear God. And then next week, we're going to look at uh, how we love one another. And that's the order in which Peter lays it out here in this section of Scripture. And it's an important order because, you know, if we did it ourselves, we would say, what were the most important things there if we were to say, um, you know, put those things in order? And we would probably start with love one another. I mean, after all, that's the most instant gratification, right? We receive something immediately when we are in a loving relationship with each other. Uh, holiness we would think would be next and then obviously a fear of God as a, under the basis of it but it really scripturally it, it's totally the other way around the right side up way is actually to begin with God and an offer the Lord and when we have a, a holy reverential fear of God and know who he really is then we ourselves as individuals will live differently. That's the holiness aspect of it. And then we will, as a natural outflow of that, supernatural outflow of that, is to love one another. And the further we topple that in a different you know, ways, and unfortunately, among and this is addressing Christians here, sometimes we get those things out of order and we say, well, really, we need to love people. and That's our most important thing. Well, it is important, but it's not the first things. And the first things have to be set in order or else the outcome at the end is, is different. And uh, it certainly wouldn't be the kind of obedience that the Lord wants in that. So we're going to look at that a little bit and in that um, whole study of this. But I want to focus for a moment here on this idea of the fear of God. Uh, it says here, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And it's better yet to go and get your definitions right out of the Bible, okay? Uh, you can go to your English you know, dictionary and look up words, and you can study the underlying Greek words and all of that. But it's best to really go back and look at the Scripture and see how Scripture itself defines the fear of God in this case, okay? Or with any topic, you can do that. Look at the Scripture and have the Scripture define what it, it means, if it's, if it's there, and, and most often it is. I want to look at a few verses because there's a number of them. And um, the first one is, uh, is this. And, um, and I'm going to move on. I've, uh, I've missed it here. For some reason, this is out of order. I'm at the wrong side of things for some reason. Can you uh, refresh that one more time? And I probably need to refresh this, I'm guessing. If not, do I have the Proverbs listed there? Randy? I don't have my references right in front of me. I have the, the references here. If you look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and if you find that, Randy, just follow along with me on that. I'm going to go with what I have here, and uh, we're going to do it the way we always have done it. Here we go. Book of Proverbs, Old Testament. All right, here we are, almost there. There we go. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> And it says this, slowly, I'm getting there, there we go, Proverbs 1, chapter, uh, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we start with Solomon immediately talking about that, and good, we have that up, and I will come and get that back up here in a moment uh, for that. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, okay, Proverbs 
chapter 8 and verse 13. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. In this case, you see here, if the fear of the Lord or that awe, that respect for God is the beginning of knowledge, it is also the idea of hating evil. And we live in a world where people today don't hate evil, they embrace it, and they actually say that evil is good. You know, And Paul and others warn us of that. Jesus warned also, beware of those who call evil good and good evil. And we're living in a world where that's turned upside down. Proverbs chapter 9 in verse 10. Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And again, you see where um, the, the knowledge of God brings out an idea of holiness, and it brings out the idea of a reverence for who truly God is in that whole, uh, that whole understanding of that. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Do you want true confidence? Well, you'll get it in the understanding of who God is. And often uh, people say, you know, you realize that, you know, if you have faith in, in the Lord, faith in God, that's for weak people. Well, no, it's for confident people because we can rest in Him and have that before us. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 27, the very next verse. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And oh, how we need the Lord to... Uh, uh, to show us that in, in that whole thing. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 and in verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. If we laid that out a little bit on our, uh, probably gave that advice to people as they set off in life, it would be far better advice than to say, go out and make as much as you can and then Make sure you can it and then sit on the can, you know. That's kind of the advice most people give, don't they? They say, uh, hold on to it and make sure you hold on to this world. And you know what? For the believer, this world is not our home, is it? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. The next verse is uh, Proverbs 16, verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. You want to know how you go away from evil things? Have a respect for God. And I could make comments on each one of these verses. That's not the intention here in that. Proverbs 22, verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's good advice too. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 29 and this is some of the basis for the idea of the fear of the Lord and I like this because it conveys and through the book of Deuteronomy by the way the word Deuteronomy means repetition and it is a repetition of what God has laid out particularly in his law but in a very practical way in many times you come through the book of Deuteronomy and the Lord instructs his people to teach up their children to train them in the ways they should go and look at this uh, verse 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me 
and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, the Lord doesn't want us just to have an awe about who he is or respect or a holy fear for our own sake, but for the sake of others also, that we would convey that to our children. We live in a, in a world where there's so little respect now for almost anything and anyone. And, and we wonder, where, where did we go wrong in society? And you could, you could shoot at you know, symptoms all day long. You could say, well, it's, it's broken homes. It's, it's perhaps you know, drug abuse. It's, uh, you, you could name a whole bunch of different things. And, but the bottom basis of all this, the respect for one another and the outcome for that is really foundational in the fact the way we see God. If you don't have a respect for God, the Creator, the Lord God, then you won't have a respect for your fellow man, your fellow woman. And we wonder why things are so turned upside down in our society. That's the primary reason right there. And God knew that. He told the children of Israel, convey these things to your children also. And oh, that you had a heart that would keep my commandments and do that. Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse 29 says this, and this is an interesting commentary of Solomon's day. He says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And it's interesting, all the, the commandments that were given or, you know, these emphatic statements of fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Sadly, they did not always fear the Lord. The children of Israel instead hated knowledge. Many of them. And you come to the day, like for instance, Hosea's day, and it was for a lack of knowledge, it says, that they were consumed. That's why we go through the Bible, by the way, every week. At least I hope we do. If we stop doing that regularly, we're going to be in trouble. We'd be in trouble as Christians. We'd be in trouble as a church because it's only through the Word of God that we have true discernment and we come to the knowledge of who God really is and we put ourselves in the right light in the comparison of who God is and who we are. That's the only way. And I trust that we will follow the Lord in that. Too often there's very little respect for one another and you see that in the the way people discuss things today. And I think you can easily, you know, I can go around this room and ask your opinion on something and probably every one of us would have slightly different opinions and some would have stronger opinions on things than others and all that there may be things we agree on and i hopefully there are but i'm amazed in today's uh discussions that go on online whatever it is almost any topic you start if it continues long enough somebody will start yelling at each other in all capital letters and you know sometimes cursing and all that kind of stuff and it can be some simple thing about you know a technical issue and all of a sudden, somebody's calling someone this and that, and you're an idiot, and you, know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I thought, we've lost the ability just to talk with one another and discuss ideas and exchange those things and change our minds, even. <laughs> Whoa. Change our minds when someone presents truth or something that is irrefutable or, or at least has a burden of proof. And we live in a world of lots of doubts and things, and I think, really, a lot of that stems out of the idea that we don't really have a good view of who God is. And out of that, we suspect maybe he's not good. <laughs> and, you know, those kind of things. Anyways, I don't want to deviate, deviate too far off, but that's uh, somewhat of what's going on. And if you need any examples of that, certainly look at any political discussions today, right? Watch out. 
and probably stay clear of some of those as, uh, as you can, uh, unless you want to lose your testimony in the middle of it. I don't know. But uh, as Americans, we have that great right to express what we think, but let's be careful how we do it, right, as Christians. There's some things here I want to look at. Verse 17, let's go back to 1 Peter 1 here. And the Bible says this, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now, I'm going to pull out a little phrase there. You see in the New King James where he says this, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. That word, the time of your stay here, or that phrase, it means this, that you're, you're sojourning, all right? your pilgrimage. It's a word that's used further up in the text in the beginning when Peter reminds us all that we are but pilgrims and strangers. In other words, we're, we're not really here forever, okay? Just so you want to clue into that, okay? Uh, the New Living Translation, I like how it puts it. It says, look at the end of that. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Hmm. That kind of makes it a little bit closer to home. Do you know that if you're a Christian, you're a temporary resident here? And, and I know intellectually we can stop and we say, yeah, that's true. Someday I'm, I'm going to you know exit this world all right and we are you better have an exit strategy by the way because whether you believe these things or not this is true that every single one of us is in line to have our days come to an end all right our days are short in this world and that's one of the points of my message is the life is very simply life is short it is short we are temporary residents on this planet (laughs) and we better get used to that but we also better keep it in mind. Moses, in um, his prayer in Psalm 90, uh, says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain, might gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days. Uh, I don't know if you woke up this morning and said, Well, Lord, I, I only have you know, so many days ahead of me. You know, we don't know always how many days we have now sometimes you do sometimes you know the doctor brings the bad news right it was like the guy who was in the doctor's office he went in he wasn't feeling well doctor ran some tests came back a few minutes later after the tests were in he said i got some terrible news for you he says what you have there is terminal and the man was just kind of shocked you know and he 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 said well how long do i have and the doctor said 10 he said 10 he says 10, does that mean like 10 years, 10 months, you know? And the doctor went 9, 8, 7, yeah. You wouldn't want to get that kind of news, would you, right? I wouldn't know, I know that for sure. But let me tell you this, uh, friends, you have to learn to, to number your days. Whether we have a lifespan of 70 years, 100 years, Less than that, more than that, wherever it falls in, anywhere. We are all living in a succession of days from our our conception all the way through that moment when we die. And when that happens, are you ready for the exit strategy? Because you don't cease to exist at death. And Peter here reminds the early Christians, he says, you're here as temporary residents. Live like you're here as temporary residents. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, don't live here thinking you're going to be here forever. That, that motivates us to live differently. Our, our treasures aren't stored up here. They're stored up in heaven, or that's what we're supposed to be doing. 
Too often, you know, we do live like we have to be here. And you, if you wonder if that, we often, that's our prayers. When we ask, hey, what's a prayer request? It's a lot about keeping people here and not preparing people for there, you know. And I'm not criticizing. I think we should pray as we are told to do and pray for one another when we're sick, pray for one another when we have difficulties, and we ought to do that. But it should be balanced off with the idea that I need to be preparing others also. And Paul said, pray for every, all men everywhere. And my friends, we need to do that. Because someday we're, we're getting out of here. It was so refreshing to have Mike Sonia here last week at Sunday night and Rita. And you know Mike, he's got... He's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he's getting weaker as the days go on. And it was just uh, refreshing to hear a man stand here in this very pulpit and proclaim the word of God and the truths that are found there. But to do so with the knowledge that, you know, his days are short, perhaps shorter than many of us. Maybe not. That's in God's hand. You've heard the phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will, will last. And, and that's true. James says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. You ever remember, I, how many of you went to school on a school bus? Oh, a few of you. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I did. I had an hour and a half bus ride from Quimby, Winterville, you know, if you want to know where that is, to Fort Kent. And we picked up a lot of people on the way. So it was an hour and a half there and back. And you know how I learned to write? On the frost on the windows, you know? Yeah. Uh, not really. I, want, I don't know if I've learned to write yet. But anyways, but I, we used to do that. We'd make little designs and etchings and drawings and all that. And you know what I always amazed at is the next day I'd get on the same bus and I'd get, sit down in this, about the same seat. And, uh, and yes, it was most of the time at the front of the bus because that's where the bus driver could keep an eye on me. But you know what? I, I remember, uh, I'd say, where's those words I wrote yesterday? They're gone. That moist vapor that condensed and then froze on that window was gone. It had been replaced. It was gone. And you know what? Our life is just like that. We, we make a few marks here and there, and we might influence a few people. And, and shortly thereafter, it's done. It, it's not empty, though. See, Christ gives purpose and meaning to our life now, even if it be but for a few years. And, and I think of that. This week, there was little Alfie there in, uh, in Great Britain, and, and there was this big uh, issue with uh, the, the state of Great Britain essentially said that, you know, they own him. <laughs> That's the outcome of a justice, a judicial uh, a group of justices that determined that he had to stay in Great Britain, even though his parents wanted to bring him to Italy to get treatment for a disease. And anyways, little Alfie died this week in Britain. And, and you know, you can say, what you want about that and he said that's an awful tragedy but is there some meaning behind his life and i say yes lord there is anytime we see life or see death there is meaning behind that even if it's just to remind us that our time is coming someday you know what for a christian we're going to get out of this world no matter what the worst this world can throw at us is confining us somewhere to die but you know what when we die we are released and i can just say that no matter what we fall or befalls us. And it reminds us that God is our judge ultimately, and we ought to fear Him first and foremost. That's why He says that if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, He always judges right, by the way, and He judges according to each one's work. That's, by the way, for the saved and the unsaved. 
The saved, those who have trusted Christ, we are, will be judged, and, and he's talking to Christians here in his letter, he will be judged not for salvation but, or, or for sin, that sin is dealt with, but in, according to our works for Christ, rewards will be handed out. And he makes mention of that uh, a little bit later here, and, and of course the Apostle Paul did as well. And we're reminded that faith without works really is a, is a dead kind of faith. It really is. And we have to be aware of that. James uh, talks about that uh, as well. And when we look at that, we need to be willing and ready to serve the Lord wherever and whenever. And whatever you do for the Lord is not, you know, it's not just spent as something that was not something, you know, it's not something that uh, uh, even if no one takes note of it, um, you know what? He does. He takes note of it. Sometimes we, we don't even know people. You know, I've, one of the great things we've had a privilege of doing in our, in our home over the years, we haven't done it nearly enough, is to read missionary biographies um, and to talk about people you know, around the kitchen table over the years, especially when the kids were younger, uh, we, would, we would talk about different people. And uh, we've never read, as a family anyways, the missionary story of Gladys Allward, but she was a British missionary, went to serve in China, uh, was there for many, many years, actually had to flee China during the invasion, the, the Japanese invasion. And the Japanese were committing you know, terrible atrocities against the Chinese, against everybody they came across. And she fled over mountains, okay, getting out of China uh, with a hundred orphans in tow. That's the kind of woman she was. And by the way, didn't have any food with her or any extra shoes or anything. Just had the orphans in tow and they fled over the mountains and God protected them and delivered them. She died in 1970 at the age of 67 years old. And uh, nearing the end of her death, some asked her about what her life was like. And I, I like what she said. She talked about the remarkable success of the gospel in western China and all the things that had gone on. But she said this, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done in China. I thought that's interesting. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, well-educated man, but I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Allward, and God said, well, she's willing. Sometimes the difference between greatness and a wasted life is simply a willing heart. Life is short, fear God, and fear being so easy or so busy with triviality that you are not willing to answer God's call. And you know, she said that fear being so busy with triviality that you are not willing to answer God's call. And I, I think that's true. Sometimes we just don't, you know, we might say, yeah, my life is short, but we, we, we sense God wants us to do a bigger thing, something greater even something that maybe others wouldn't see as great, but we don't do it. We waste the opportunities before us. God is our judge, isn't He? 1 Corinthians. I mention this because Christians will stand before the Lord's judgment seat. The word judgment in the book of 1 Corinthians is the Bema seat. It is a Greek word in reference to where judges sat to hand out reward, particularly like in the Olympics. And by the way, in the ancient Olympics, the games were held 
in the cities of Corinth, in the cities of Athens, and also in Delphi. And those three. So Corinth, the Corinthians understood when Paul writes and he talks about the judgment seat, he's talking about rewards. But it's interesting what he says. He says, For no other foundation uh, can anyone lay that that which is laid in Christ, or in Jesus Christ, excuse me. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And what Paul is teaching here is very simply this, that you are secure in Christ and you'll never be judged for your sin. And that's what he's saying there, that he himself will be saved, okay? You know, referring to the believer that suffers loss of everything because he wasted it. But for those that, that work for the Lord and their efforts are for Him and their efforts are, are done not with man in mind but with God in mind, those works will endure. In other words, there will be reward for them. He refers to the, the gold and the silver, the precious metals, and wood, hay, and stubble. And much of our life is made up with those things, right? Every one of us has wood, hay, and stubble. There are things in my life I regret, things I built my own life upon, and I look back and I say, that was worthless. Why did I do that? Why did I make that kind of decision? Then there are times where I've said, God, I'm going to do this for you, even if I have to count the cost. It's going to cost me in my bank. It's going to cost me in my goals of life. It's going to cost me in a relationship, those kind of times. And you know what? That's those times where there's silver, gold, right? Precious metal you're investing. And that's the analogy anyways. But this is eternal things, reward that will be given. And someday when we're before the Lord, those rewards are there and and everything will be revealed. And that ought to make us motivated to live because God is the one who judges, right? As Peter says, he reminds us of that. The song that we often sing with kids, right? But it really should be sung by all of us, right? Oh, be careful, little what? Eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff, isn't it? You could go right down through there and you could do that. Little hands, little feet, little minds, all that. Be careful what you, where you go, right? Where you, what you think, what you do. All those things. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. And that is true. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He sees everything. He even sees what we do when no one else can see it at all. Mm. And when you get an idea that that's how the Lord is, there's a, there's a reverence for Him. Many people today, uh, they'll tell you that crime statistics in a lot of places are actually falling um, you know, talking about petty thefts and things like that because there's video cameras everywhere and there's, you know, lots of uh, dangers of people getting caught. But it doesn't change the heart, right? But if you knew, you know, there was an opportunity in front of you to steal something and you knew somebody was watching, you know, most people would not take it. I would hope most Christians certainly would not take it. But we know better. Sometimes people do steal. And I can say this, though, that if we understood that God always sees, 
We wouldn't be stealing. We, we wouldn't be doing something, you know, harmful to others or ourselves or living an unholy life. Any of that kind of stuff. Because the Father up above is looking down in love, isn't He? Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Silver and gold can corrupt, believe it or not, right? I mean, I'd like to have more silver and gold, that's for sure. I think all of us could say that, but you know what? You can't take it with you. <laughs> I, have a, I have a silver coin in my pocket. It's a U.S. A $1 silver coin. And, um, you know, it actually is stamped on it. It's one ounce of silver, full one ounce of fine silver. It says on it $1, okay? Stamped on it by the U.S. government. That means I could go to a bank today and I could give this to anybody and they would give me at least the value of $1 or a transaction. It's guaranteed by the U.S. government, $1. It's actually worth more than that if silver prices continue to go up or whatever because it's worth about $16.50, I think, right now uh, for the price of an ounce of silver, all right? And people will go and take and they'll, they'll invest money in silver and gold and those kind of things because it has a preciousness to it in the fine metals and those kind of things. And, and no matter what this says on the, the front of it or the back of it, wherever it is there, um, it might say $1, the Canadians have a $5 one, whatever. It's, just, it's a one ounce silver piece. I could collect a whole bunch of that. I haven't, but I would like to. Uh, but I'll tell you, collect a whole bunch of silver coins, whatever. And you know what? It's not going to hold up. I won't be able to take it with me. I won't be able to go and uh, do anything for it other than what, you know, invest it in the Lord, in His work, in His ministry, in my family, whatever, you know, something of that kind of benefit. But you'll not take it with you. And that's why he says, knowing that you were, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You've heard the term, oh, it's, you know, who you know, you get out of things, you know, whatever. When I lived in Ukraine, I heard that all the time. Uh, if, if somebody was in trouble, they'd say, oh, I have somebody I know that can get you out of trouble <laughs> for a price. Oh, boy, I'm not going to pay that. And, and people could buy, literally there, they could buy things like diplomatic immunity for enough money. You could actually get that, and you were free from civil law at that point, sadly. And, you know, there was that kind of corruption. Let me tell you this, though. You can't buy salvation. That's what Peter says. He's, and, and it's what Paul says, what Jesus said as well. But you cannot buy your way into heaven. All the gold and the silver in the world will not get you there. All the good works that you do will not get you there. Only Christ will get you there. And as he says that, from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, traditions won't get you there. In other words, the religious things that you inherited, all right? Somebody says, yeah, but I got a big family Bible that's been in our, in our family for generations. And it's got the names of all my ancestors. And we're a long line of Christians. I can show you right in the front page of that Bible. That won't get you into heaven, my friends. The only way that you'll be in heaven is if you, by faith, trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Because His blood is the price for sin. His blood, His vicarious life is the only payment. Not any other payment. And Peter reminds us of that, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the only way of salvation. By the way, that's the only exit plan that works. 
There's lots of people out there, you know, preparing for the end, but, you know, the only strategy that is lasting is Christ. And you better flee to Him for refuge. You better do that. Be reminded of that. And the blood of Christ is precious. And the word that is used there, uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, in our English language, we use the word precious as almost something that, you know, is trivial sometimes. Like, that little girl is so precious, or that little boy is so precious. And, and yeah, we can say that and, and do that. And I'm not saying trivialize little kids by any means, but we, we almost think that it's like a little cute word. That's all we use it for. But it means invaluable. And I think that's even better when you say that little girl is invaluable, or that little boy, or, or that item is priceless precious when it comes to christ it's a word that can truly be used of him because there's no other salvation given to men right none other name given among men or under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that's again peter who's quoted in the book of acts in chapter 4 verse 12 right Uh, and you think of those words that go with that and later on he would pen this letter and he would remind us that it was christ who is the lamb of god who is without blemish who is without spot that means he's sinless he had to be a hundred percent fully innocent sinless to pay for my sin or else he'd have just been another sinner and that transaction transaction of holiness couldn't have taken place and then lastly we're reminded that All this was accomplished before we even came into existence or even before anything else came into existence. Back when it was just God. (laughs) says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You see, God's plan for salvation has been before there was even creation. Before Adam and Eve sinned, before sin was passed on to man, and before any of us sinned, all that, all the evil in our world, all the different things that happened, all the history, you know what, all that before that whole thing was done, it was Christ already was determined to go to the cross. The Son who was going to take our place on the cross. It was already foreordained. Spurgeon said it was as if God in eternity past was sitting there with a cup in His hand, and in that cup was an acorn And yet, God could look ahead through the ages and see the forest of oaks that was before Him. And that's how God is. And He says, Who, through Him, believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The great things that we have today and the the reliance of our faith is steadfast because Christ is risen. And again, I I have said this time and time again, you do not have the hope of the gospel, which is the, the payment of salvation by Christ dying in our place, without the security of the resurrection that guarantees it. See, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again according to the scriptures. And if he didn't rise from the dead, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we of all people would be most miserable. Because why? Because we've believed in vain. We've just had an empty, vain belief system. But God did rise. So Christ did rise from the dead. And oh, the hope that's found in that. And you can rest your faith in Him him today because of that. Let's pray.
God, again, we are thankful for your word. And as we've looked at it this morning and gone through it, we're reminded about, really, I think, these simple truths. Lord, help us to, to just appreciate the salvation that is given to us. It's freely given to us. The hope of all eternity, the hope of heaven, the hope of being seated with Christ in heavenly places, all that given to us because of the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, as we look to you this morning, we ask that you would work in each and every one of our lives and our hearts here. Lord, if there's strangers to you that are seated here in this room this morning or that might be listening to this later on, I pray, God, that you would draw them to Christ and that they truly would be saved. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.